Going Linux, episode 276, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, listener feedback. If you want to send us feedback, our email is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail is one 904 468-7889. Hey Bill, uh, welcome again to uh, our listener feedback episode this time around. Yay! Good to hear that your microphone has been fixed. What did you do? I rebuilt it. <laughs> rebuilt it from scratch. That's that ham radio background coming into play, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I took parts from the different microphones and decided that, heck, I can do this as well as any manufacturer, so I broke out the soldering iron and solder and electrical tape and went at it, and it works. I yes. sent you a test to recording, and it's just like it used to be. Yay. Yes, nice. Well, thanks for that. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it as well. We've had a little bit of uh, mixed audio levels between the two of us, and I've had to do a lot of processing on your uh, voice recordings to try to remove noise and hiss and hum and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, there was a bit of echo on the last one, but you know, that just goes to show you that podcasting requires a decent microphone to make it sound good. So it does, it does. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I still got, I'm still waiting on a real good one to come. I don't know what they're doing. I think they have to mine the raw materials apparently. Well, you know what? This one's not sounding too bad. This is the one that was falling apart, so now it's all back together, so hopefully it will work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it seems to be working well so far, and we'll just keep our fingers crossed that it'll hold out at least until the new one arrives, and it's it sounds great, I have to say. Thanks. Now, uh, I have to give some bad news. Rest in peace, open Seuss. It finally died. It won't boot up. It's just dead, so I'm done. I made it last what six seven months. Hey, that's a record. Yeah. So what's going on? What? Uh... Well, I was getting kernel panics. Remember, I told you about that yeah. last week, and uh -huh. it just just kept getting worse and worse and crash. And I just I went went to turn it on, and it just says. Eh. So, so it's not a uh, hardware issue because you've got other things running on it, right? Yes. Yes, okay. I actually have. Um, well, funny you should mention that. I have a whole bunch of distros running. I have Ubuntu Mate or Mate. I have Ubuntu Unity 14.04. I have Debian 8 with Cinnamon Desktop. I'm testing CentOS, and I'm running LXLE. Uh, not not all of them on the, the same hardware, but two or three of them are on that on my big machine, and so. Go figure. I don't know what's wrong with it, but uh, I'm recording this on um, the Unity interface. And you know what? I see all these different desktops, and I, I'm coming to really like Unity just because I guess I've gotten used to it. I yeah. remember I hated, I hated it, but I really like it better than all the others right now. And you know, I, I think it's just because I use the search feature a lot. But 
I was uh, looking at PC Linux OS, and uh -huh. they have a problem with their installer on both the 32 and 64-bit versions. Really? What's going on there? You do the partition on the drive, and it starts installing, and then it throws a fatal error. Huh. And it boots right back to the live desktop. And uh, I sent them an email saying, hey, you know, this is a problem. And it, it didn't do it on just one machine. It did it on three different machines. So I know it's not the machine. Right. So I don't know what's going on with them. But it's an old version. Uh, they haven't updated for this year. It's last year's version. You know, they kind of uh, – they were like a rolling release anyway. Yeah. So they, they every once in a while they, they'll update everything. But uh, I don't know what's going on with them. And really excited. Uh, you remember the old Netscape communicator? Absolutely, yeah. I liked that uh, software package because it had the chat and it, it had the composer, it had Firefox, etc., etc. Well, there's an open source project called SeaMonkey that is basically the old Netscape communicator, but they updated it. And so I went to their website. Mm -hmm. And they don't, and they actually don't include install with it anymore, but they tell you how to install it. So I went ahead and installed it, and it's just like I'm back with my favorite Netscape communicator, only with a different name. I like it. You should try it. You know what? I have tried it a few years ago, and, mm -hmm. you know, unless they've updated some fantastic features or something, I suspect that it's pretty much the same as it was back in those days uh and i liked it a lot it was one of those things that everything was included in a single package and that was kind of convenient but i've gotten used to chrome and i've i've got a lot of chrome extensions and various things that i rely on to be cross-platform so mm -hmm. you know um i think in another time i would have been tempted but right now i'm pretty happy with what i'm running but that isn't the same for every listener of the podcast. So That's true. for our listeners, if you out there are looking for something that provides a browser and a chat and everything all built into one, the SeaMonkey package might be just what you're looking for. Uh, I will give you two uh, things to watch out for. Okay. Make sure that you read the directions because they'll give you a step-by-step -step on how to do it. It's mm -hmm. real simple. And also, make sure that you use, if you have a 32-bit system, don't install the 64-bit. And if you have a 64, don't use the 32. <laughs> because yeah. it, the instructions won't work. I was oh. sitting there, and I was sitting there going, why isn't this working? Everything worked great, and now it's not. But uh, I was installing the 32. Now, I know I'm an old fogey, but one of the reasons I like communicators so much, or, Netscape, or, or the new SeaMonkey, I should say, uh -huh. is I like I like our IRC chat. I do yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. And uh, I just like having it right there. Click it, it pops up, boom, 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 Bob's your uncle. And uh, it just I like everything about it. I don't even have Chrome installed. I'm using just communicator mm -hmm. and i have oh and i'm not using google search oh what search does it use uh well you can you can put google search but i'm not using google search i'm using DuckDuckGo. okay how's that working for you it actually i like the way it lays out the um search results uh it'll tell you if it's an official site 
it gives you information about it. if it's a company you're looking up it will list all the information for you I like it I don't think I'm gonna change back for a while I want to see if I can live with it now I've only lived with it for about a week so you know I I'm I'm a heavy Google user but I want to see if DuckDuckGo will be a drop-in replacement and so far I like it they've changed their layout and you should give it a chance uh, and look at how they've changed their layout it's very clean and very easy to read well, it's easy enough to change the search engine, so I'll give it a try and see whether I like it. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I tried DuckDuckGo a little while ago, um, mm -hmm. probably about a year ago, and I wasn't all that enamored with it. So I'll take a look and see if they've improved it any, and if so, maybe that'll be my new default search engine. Um, we'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, it's always good to try something new every once in a while. I'm not saying that Google's evil or anything. I just wanted to, you know, oh, no. try try something different. Sure. And uh, I will give you an example where it actually worked and uh, Google didn't. I needed to get contact information for Conical. Well, mm -hmm. I did a search on Google and it didn't find it. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, I'm sure it would be in one of those web pages, but I did a search on DuckDuckGo and it pulled up the information the first time. Wow, that's great. Good. Yeah, so <laughs> it worked. So anyway. So um, I, I know you've been playing around with a few distros lately, so just give us a quick rundown as to what things you're playing with. Okay, I have LXLE, which is that little Ubuntu uh, one, they, the project all they use is the LTS. Still have that installed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my main distro, uh, yeah, gonna call me a unit, uh, Ubuntu fanboy, but is Ubuntu 14.04. I just like it. And, um, uh, I also have Ubuntu, uh, Mate. See, I even said it the right way. Uh, okay. And, uh, I also am testing, um, CentOS. Okay. And now I'm running that in a virtual box right now because I just don't have any more partitions to spare. And, um, <laughs> you know, go figure. I need another machine, Larry. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I, only, I only have three. And the last one I'm, I'm testing right now, and I like it, it's fast, is Debian 8 with the Cinnamon desktop. Okay. So, out of all of them right now, I would say my two favorite are Ubuntu uh, Mate and Stock Ubuntu. Uh, I do like the uh, LXLE. Uh, the Cent OS has been a pain in the butt if you really want to get. Well, I don't down think that tacks. it's really made to be a Linux desktop user's Linux. It's more for servers and things like that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And yeah. I just downloaded two more ISOs that are getting ready to go into virtual machines. Mm -hmm. One is Gentoo. Okay. Some of our listeners will be happy with that. Uh, I've never done Gentoo, but I'm going to actually do a stock install where you actually install it and you compile everything. I believe that's how they do it. Yep. So I'm going to we'll do that. And that'll take me a little while. I'm kind of excited. And I re-downloaded Slackware again. Now, about three years ago, I installed Slackware. And I liked it quite a bit. I haven't looked at the project since. So both of them are kind of more advanced. But I figure, 
what the heck, you know, we've got some pretty smart listeners, smarter than me, uh, that maybe we'll give them something to uh, maybe look into. So I got Gento and Slackware on the burner to be installed, compiled, and tested, and I'll let you know how that goes. Yeah, I'm sure we'll all be interested in uh, hearing about your experiences with all those things. Well, they say Gentoo is slow. It takes a while to get it installed, but once you have it installed, because you compile everything, from what I understand, now I could be talking out the side of my head right now. I've only can tell you what I've read is it's really really fast because you compile it just for that machine. There's not any extras and like a right. Bluetooth. Right. They they you know they go for the general. But uh, I'll let you know how it goes. Uh, I don't think it'll be my distro of choice. But I'm kind of excited to take on this one because I've never done it. Yeah, well, um, and that leads us right into our emails because our first one is from Leonid, who wrote, I would like to ask your opinion about the Gen 2 distro, if you've used it, and what can you say about it? Thanks, Leonid. I've already answered your question. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) So uh, hopefully Leonid will have a review for you, if if only uh, like a two-second review. Hey, it works. Great. (laughs) But maybe maybe you'll get into something a little more in-depth than that, huh? Yeah, it will be a little more in-depth than that. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep notes on, you know, what I did to install it and stuff, and maybe uh, I'll do a write-up and you can put it on the website if someone wants to follow along. Sounds great. Okay, our next email comes from Lyle, and he writes about ham radio. Hey, great. Okay, he writes, I started with Linux about five months ago. I've listened to an embarrassing amount of podcasts. (laughs) Can't remember who was the ham. (laughs) That would be me. I think it was one of you guys. I was trying to hook up a DV dongle, and one of my buddies suggested I try Ubuntu. I never got it to work. I decided if I could replace Windows, I would have a new hobby. Since then, I have built eight computers, installed and played with several distros, and played with VMware, VirtualBox, Play on Linux, web software, video and audio editing. Still hate iTunes. I don't blame you. I hate iTunes, too. Networking. The dogs have been safe so far. (laughs) Home Home media server, and three Raspberry Pis. The list goes Ah. on and on. Yeah. Wow. Months later, I said, hey, (laughs) what about the DV dongle? I'm ready. No, I'm not. Using mint cinnamon. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully one of you guys can point me in the right direction. Linux in the ham shack. Where is your email link? Russ, K5TUX. I think I have listened to almost every one of your episodes. I vote for a mini PC episode. Thanks. KE4BB Lyle. One more thing. Now that SSDs are better, would you guys recommend anything different than you had before? And I will let Larry talk about that because he's the SSD guy. Yeah, I don't think so. I think our episode on that and the article we have on using and setting up SSD drives is pretty much up to date. I don't think much has changed since I put that together. It wasn't really that long ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, although uh, SSD drives are constantly improving, um, not at a super rapid pace. So I'd say our advice there is just fine. 
And as far as the Linux in the Hamshack email address, um, you know, I searched through their website to try to find the email address where it's listed, and I don't see it there, but I think they mention it on their show, don't they? Uh, I, I know I, I have emailed them in the past, or at least individually, the hosts. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, there is a workaround. Ah. If you go to the FCC's uh, site and type in Russ's call sign, you'll pull up his mailing address. You can always send him a snail mail. Perfect. Okay. So one way or another, you'll be able to get in touch with him. Yep. So, hey, you're a ham. Call him on the radio. K5TUX. <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, Larry. Sometimes that just doesn't work. Okay? Oh, okay. All right. Hey, you have I'm to actually be listening. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Technology fails us again. Technology fail. I will say. That it's pretty impressive when they can take like two watts and talk to Tokyo, okay? I'm just saying. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Not that I've done that, but yeah, I've seen people that have done some incredibly uh, wild stuff. So anyway, what's mm -hmm. our next one? Oh, let me guess. Someone's complaining about my noise. Yep, I was yep, right. Yeah, that's right. So this one's from David. Concerning Bill's noise in his recordings, have you tried a USB headset? Yes. Uh, USB <laughs> audio devices tend to have less extraneous noise than analog connections. You got it, David. That's exactly right. Or you can try an external recording running on batteries that's not tied to the power line of the house. We tried that last time, and you heard how that came out. Uh, concerning the pronunciation of M-A-T-E, I believe it should be pronounced the way Larry used to say it, mate. This is because at the bottom of the... Mate Desktop web page at mate-desktop.org. It says the name comes from the South American tea called Yerba Mate, the drink in South America, which I enjoyed when living in Argentina, is pronounced Mate. While it doesn't have the written accent on the E, as one recent listener suggested it should have, it is still properly pronounced with the Spanish pronunciation. And he provides a Wikipedia page listing the information about the drink mate, which also gives an explanation of the name and the pronunciation. We'll include that in the show notes. I've been a listener for a couple of years and have enjoyed the show. I've used Linux as my primary operating system since 2001, though I started playing with it in the mid 90s so you started playing with it just after it came out so cool stuff david yeah i will ask you this does mm -hmm. does that drink have caffeine in it i have no idea i've never tried it <laughs> <laughs> maybe the wikipedia page will tell us oh okay because if it has caffeine i definitely want to try it okay sounds good. all right thanks david yes okay our next email comes from richard and he writes hi larry hi richard <laughs> I have written in <laughs> okay. I have written in to you a few times before and you are always helpful. Like you, I have been a Mint user for a while now. I have a Lenovo X220 which has been a good machine and works very well with Mint with just a few minor exceptions. Well, the screen is crapping out on me and so I am looking at another machine. 
unfortunately the linux-based companies like system 76 za reason etc do not offer the specs i need i am looking at lenovo's x250 but am having trouble finding much online in terms of compatibility with mint have you heard of anything on it uh well i haven't heard anything specific but lenovo's uh i've had a lenovo they seem to work pretty well with linux and what i would suggest i don't know what you think about this is go to the forums of the distro you want to use and ask yeah that's that's a great suggestion there's also um ubuntu has a certified hardware program and i found a listing for the x250 and we'll include that in the show notes on their certification for it um the one thing that i noticed in there is they said something about the uh hibernation uh, being turned off because it doesn't work. Uh, I also found a note on the Arch Wiki about some issues that some people with the X250 have, and they have some solutions on fixing those issues. So we'll include that link in the show notes as well. Uh, They seem to be minor issues overall, but it's nice to have fixes for those niggly little (laughs) issues that you may have. And uh, one final link is from an Ask Ubuntu article on how to enable the physical track point buttons on the Lenovo X250. And if you have any of the issues listed in the uh, Arch Linux wiki or on the Ask Ubuntu site that we'll include in the show notes, then you'll probably want to take a look at those. But other than that, it should be an excellent machine. I've used uh, think pads for a long time and have a lot of respect for them and generally speaking they're well suited for running linux do they still make the think pads oh absolutely now they're from lenovo in china mm-hmm. uh, so they're no longer from ibm but uh, they've kept up the compatibility with linux they've kept up the excellent quality and so they're still an excellent computer I'm actually thinking about maybe picking up another Lenovo because they're just so well designed. But I didn't know if they still made the ThinkPads. I always say you can stop a terrorist with one of those things. <laughs> yeah, the ThinkPads seem to be the better of the machines than mm-hmm. the consumer-grade Lenovo computers. But I think um, you know if you stick with the ThinkPad brand from Lenovo, uh, and you know their X series and their T series seem to be some of the best. The X series being the lightweight portable laptops, the T-Series being uh, the mm-hmm. more performance-oriented laptops, um, those seem to be pretty good. It's It's been a while since I've used a modern ThinkPad, uh, and I yeah. think the last one I had my hands on was a T400 or one of the series immediately after that, and they they were still great machines at that time. So I know they've uh, only been improving since then. I do want to uh, ask you something. You, you're you're using a se- System76, right? I am, yes. The Galago Pro. Okay. Uh, he says that he couldn't find the specs that he needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you told me that they were pretty open uh, at ZA Reason to trying to help you get what you wanted. Couldn't he call System76 and see if they could maybe get something uh, for him? Yeah, there's a a nice chat system that they have on the System76 website. Uh, Zero Reason has something similar as well. I'm not sure about the chat component, but both of them would be willing to help you out, I'm sure, in selecting the right 
version. They really have a nice selector. Both of those companies have a nice selector on their website. And they're always bringing out new models, both of those companies. So check back with them. Make sure that they have what you're looking for. And mm -hmm. check through the options because uh, if you just take a look at what's on their website, they've really listed the specs for the lowest model, but you can add on in some of the models from the base four gigabytes of RAM all the way up to 16 gigabytes of RAM. And you can oh, in really? increase wow. the, the hard drive size. And in some of the models, you can have two hard drives like the MSATA. SSD drive, and then you can add an additional drive for data that can be a spinning drive or an SSD drive. And on some of them, you can go up to one terabyte SSD if you really want to spend a bunch of money wow. on it. So you can get a pretty high performance machine. And I noticed that Zarizen has uh, brought out a newer lightweight model lately. And mm -hmm. similarly, the um, uh, System76 folks have, have brought out, uh, I think it's uh, an updated lemur uh, version, if I remember correctly, that has some nice lightweight specs as well. And I'm talking about lightweight mainly because I know the X250 is a small, light uh, version of the ThinkPad that's meant for for portability, extreme portability. It's it's kind of the ultralight, if you will, of of the ThinkPad series. So the exact opposite of my big beast, which is yes, like exactly right. pounds. Exactly yeah, wow. right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. So check back with the the other manufacturers on a regular basis and uh I'm sure you can find something close. And if close isn't good enough, then uh the ThinkPad X fifty is probably a good choice. Yeah. All right. Okay, going back to our emails. Our next email is from Michael, who needs our help. He writes, Hi, Larry and Bill. I am in the process of moving home and hopefully will be in my new house next week. Maybe even today, as the van booked to move my things to the new house is booked for this morning. The replacement DVD writer for my laptop won't power on, so I may have to create a USB bootable version of Sonar on my Mac, which works apart from the command key, which I accidentally broke, revealing the rubber bit where the key is supposed to be, until I can purchase a new drive. The problem is, I'm changing my ISP, TV, and telephone to Virgin. So, uh, he is in the UK, uh, continues... And their engineers are coming to set up their services on the 2nd of June. And we're recording this on the 24th of May. So that's coming up pretty quickly. My questions are, is it straightforward to create a bootable USB copy of Sonar so I could at least have a better working computer? How do you create the bootable USB? As you're aware of my system's boot options from my previous email, would booting from a USB stick in order to install Sonar affect the menu choice from F7 and then the 5 key to some other number, same as adding an external drive? Booting Linux from a USB drive is new to me, and I am not sure how straightforward it is for someone who is totally blind, although I think I did read a recent post on the Sonar list where someone newbie to Linux or maybe just Sonar Ran it from USB. Hope that you can help with my questions. Okay, so Michael is, as you recall, a blind computer user who has had his barman helping him out where he's needed uh, sighted help. And unfortunately, the barman has 
quit that job and moved over to another job. And so Michael is on his own. So what I've done for Michael is I have uh, first discovered that he is planning on creating the USB stick using OS 10. So I've written out some instructions, provided him a couple of links on how to create a bootable USB stick for OS 10 using OS 10 software. And I will include links in the show notes on how to do that. And these are from the Ubuntu site. And these instructions are specifically written for Ubuntu, but there is absolutely nothing in these instructions that is Ubuntu specific other than where it says to download Ubuntu desktop. Uh, So this should work with any Linux distribution. And I know um, Michael wants to use Sonar, so this should work just fine. Uh, So I've got links to two different ways of doing this. One is without using any special software, just using Mac OS 10, downloading the ISO, converting it to a .img file, and then using some commands to create the um, the bootable USB drive. Uh, and then in addition to that, I've got a link to the UNet Bootin site. There is a UNet Bootin for OS 10, and they have instructions on how to do that. What I don't know is how accessible the UNet Bootin software is. I suspect that it's okay. It's easy. Is it? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I've actually used it. Yeah, but have you used it blindfolded? (laughs) No. That's what I'm talking about by accessible. You know, is it... uh, He's going to need some help because it doesn't doesn't offer any prompts. Now, on OS X, he might be able to turn on the... um, It has accessibility built in, and there's what they call voiceover, I believe. Yeah. That might help him. Okay. Good. Well, if if uh, Unit Bootin is compatible that way, that might be the way to go. It's it's a, a graphical user interface, which uh, if it's accessible, will work just fine. But failing that, the command line method is pretty straightforward. It's several commands, but I've gotten them written out and uh, modified them a little bit from the Ubuntu version just to be specific to Michael's particular situation but for our listeners who are interested in doing something similar we've got the link in the show notes yeah and i have to say that is the best combination i've ever heard a pint of guinness and linux yeah there you go could go wrong (laughs) (laughs) we got another email from michael and he is wondering about the new router and he writes hi again fingers crossed my new broadband router is compatible with alternative operating systems other than Windows. My BT Home Hub, and I believe BT is for British Telecom, mm-hmm. is a 748F, worked just fine in both Ubuntu and Sonar. It is all well and good, Virgin claiming possibly the highest speed broadband in the UK, hoping their router is Linux compatible. If not, I could use an alternative router that is like maybe a Netgear router, for example. I used to have one, which I bought as a backup in case my BT router wouldn't work under links. But I never used it, and chances are I may have lost it either during moving houses or through the usual problem of losing things as a blind person. <laughs> So compatibility of routers, or as Michael probably calls them, routers, uh, with Linux, uh, a router is a router, and they all do things the same way. They have 
different chipsets, which gives them different speeds, but essentially they all come with similar sort of hardware and similar sort of software that you usually access by uh, browsers. So there's really nothing to be incompatible with Linux or any other operating system. It should just work. And so I don't think you're going to have any problem at all with that, Michael. So good luck with that. Yeah, good luck. Have a pine on me. (laughs) Okay, so Paul has an unresponsive script. Hi, Larry and Bill. Thanks for the great shows. I've been listening for several years, and you have helped me make the transition from Windows to Linux. I've rescued a Dell Inspiron 1501 by loading Mint 17.0, GNOME 3.8.4, Kernel 3.13.0-24 generic, replacing Windows XP. Currently, I'm running 512 megabytes of RAM and have a RAM upgrade on the way. The Inspiron CPU is a mobile AMD Sempron processor, 3600 plus, and he gives a whole bunch of other specs. Um, At times, this system becomes unresponsive for several minutes. Then I receive a dialog box that says, a script on the page is busy or it may have stopped responding. You can stop the script now, open the script in a debugger, or let the script continue. Then it gives the script URL. This is a really annoying problem because my system is disabled for several minutes within about an hour of operation. Often it is easier just to restart the laptop and reopen what I need. I expect an additional one megabyte of RAM will help my system, but I am not sure it will eliminate the script busy or unresponsive issues. I am also running Linux Mint 17.0 on a Dell Optiplex GX280 with two megabytes of RAM, and I don't see this problem. I'm interested in hearing what your options are on what's causing this problem. In other words, why do I receive unresponsive scripts in the first place? Why is my laptop unable to handle these scripts and any resolution you might suggest? Thanks in advance. All best to you, Paul in North Texas. Okay, what do you think, Bill? Do you recognize that error? I do. Uh, I'm going to go out and limb here and say it's probably because he has low system resources. Well, that could be. What do you but think? when I searched specifically on that wording, mm-hmm. it's it's a Firefox issue. Firefox has no issues. None. None. None whatsoever. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Well, uh, unless you search for that error message and then the Mozilla yeah. site comes up with all the errors from Firefox. It's a lie. From Fires of Firefox, yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, Firefox does uh, list some things on their website um, about why this issue happens and what the fix is, but it's a browser script error, most likely. Um, Paul. So uh, we've sent Paul a link to the uh, support.mozilla.org article on the unresponsive script error that might shed some light on it. If you're interested in it, we'll include it in the show notes. But essentially, their assessment is that it could be due to an errant extension, a Firefox extension. So what you might want to try, Paul, is disable all of your extensions. You don't have to uninstall them, just disable them temporarily, and then re-enable them one at a time and see if the error comes back. And the last one that you enabled is probably the one that is causing the problem when the error reappears. The other thing they suggest is if you're using the Ask toolbar, 
and the ask toolbar is something that some software packages and extensions will install out of courtesy for you. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not one of the world's best toolbars out there, and it can cause a problem. So it's more likely uh, a Windows problem with the Ask toolbar than it is a Linux problem. Uh, but if you do have the Ask toolbar and you don't use it, uninstall it. If you do use it, why? <laughs> you know uh yeah it's it's more than likely one of the extensions or a toolbar that's causing this so i would just uh you know backtrack uh, disable all the toolbars temporarily and all the extensions temporarily and then just re-enable them one at a time until the problem comes back and the fact that you have two machines one that shows the problem and one that doesn't show the problem might lead you in the direction of a solution as well uh, what you might want to do is take a look at the two browsers and see what's different between the two. What I'm assuming here is that you're not synchronizing your extensions and your toolbars between them. And if you are, then maybe there's one of them that's not actually syncing. And mm -hmm. on your Optiplex, take a look and see what's not there that is on your Dell. And the, that might lead you to whatever is causing the problem. Uh, that's a good so, idea. Yeah. So lots of different suggestions there for Paul. So good luck with that, Paul. Let us know how it goes. Yeah. I do have a uh, Linux in the wild story. Oh, okay. Let's hear about that. Uh, I can't go into a lot of it because of some confidentiality uh, issues, but I uh, installed a security camera system. Uh -huh. and it records the, the feeds. And... Uh, it's run. I don't know what version of Linux it's running, but it's running a version of Linux because it's using the EXT file system. Okay. So and it works really well. It's. I mean, it's very bare bones, but it works really well. Uh, what do you think it's running? And do you think it's just like, uh, maybe like a, it's embedded in Linux in this one? Yeah, it's probably an embedded system. Do you remember the brand of the security cam? Uh not right off the top of my head. Um. Um, yeah, I know they got it from uh, one of the big box stores. Sure. Yeah, so it's probably a Swan or or one of those. Yes. Yeah, and for the most part, they use embedded Linux. So it's probably a specialized version of Linux that it's running. Mm -hmm. And yeah, a lot of them do. And EXT is the dead giveaway on the file system <laughs> for sure. The only reason I happened to uh, see it was that you, you tell it, uh, you can tell it, when to uh, record over the recordings and uh, a bunch of settings, and you know, it brought up the um, the hard drive uh, partition, mm -hmm. and it actually said EXT. Ah, <laughs> it was like okay. EXT four actually. Okay, so, so. it's a fairly re you know relatively modern version of Linux. Yeah. It's not a really antique, archaic one, which is no. good news because yeah. it'll have you know the updates that you need for security. But the box is real, real tiny, and hmm. it has a 500 gigabyte hard drive. Hmm. But uh, I mean, it's the thing's tiny, so most of it's just hard drive. I'd have to almost assume that it's just embedded. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen those uh, very small boxes, uh, security system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Doesn't have a lot of RAM. Uh, but I mean, it's it's quick. I mean, it does exactly that. It records the streams, and that's it. Yeah, you can tell it when to schedule and stuff. But other than you know, there's there's no 
know, fancy graphics or anything. It's just here it is. It works. Have a nice day. Yeah. So. Yeah. I have a Lorex security cam system in my house and it runs uh-huh. Linux as well. You can use their software on iOS. You can use their software on a Mac. You can use their software on Windows. But it's not compatible with Linux, so I am really ticked off at them about that. Really? But, but it's a good security system, so I, I don't mind that at all um, hmm. because it works. <laughs> and uh, Oh, and, <laughs> and it works on Android as well. So it works on everything except Linux. And you would think that they would have a browser interface, which they do, mm-hmm. but it's view only. So you can't actually do any sort of, sort of setup from it. So... Um, Do you remember what file format it saves it as? I don't know. I okay. I didn't. Just curious. I didn't really look. Uh, I, if I had been able to run it from Linux, I might have done that. But no, I haven't looked. Excuses, but, excuses. I know. I know. My security system just works, so I'm not about to mess with it. So we're good. So, so in other words, you're not going to take the bolts out. No, I'm not going to take the bolts <laughs> out. No, nope. no. Nope. Okay. <laughs> You know, we've been kind of slacking. Do you have a application pick? I do. I do. Uh, mine is Veracrypt. Have you heard of Veracrypt? I have not. Veracrypt is the replacement. It's a fork of TrueCrypt. And the Krypton name gave it away. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the folks at Veracrypt have... Uh, indeed forked TrueCrypt. And if you recall, uh, some months ago, about a year ago or so, TrueCrypt stopped developing TrueCrypt. It was a bit secretive as to how they did the the development of TrueCrypt. It was not your true open source type project. And they suddenly shut it down and said, use Windows. Uh, what's the Windows uh, um. encryption? Called. I don't know. I, I'll try to stay away from Windows as much as possible. Yeah. So whatever the the Windows version is, assuming that everyone yeah. was using TrueCrypt with Windows, of course, uh, and uh, TrueCrypt being <laughs> completely cross-platform, that wasn't a solution for we folks who use Linux. So Veracrypt has actually forked their code and has begun to develop an alternative that is cross-platform and Linux compatible and all those other good things. So I am going to give that a try and see how nice. that works. And nice. I, haven't, I haven't done that yet. I've done a bit of reading on it, and it looks very, very promising. Well, you just got to stop working all the time, and then you can chat, ch- try it yeah, out. Yeah, there you go. So uh, hopefully <laughs> by next episode, I will have given it a try and... Um, will have some results to share. I have actually two applications. Okay. The first one is uh, I use WordPress on my website, my personal website that I write uh, on, you know, about anything and everything. Mm-hmm. And they just did, they just updated it with a bunch of nice features about drag and drop and just really nice themes and stuff. So uh, I just wanted to give them a shout out and say, well, John, well done. And the other one, I'm getting ready to buy a new HT, which is um, handy talkie. Basically, it's ham radio thing. Okay. And Chirp is runs on Linux, and it lets you program your radio from your computer. Oh, nice. Yeah, so um, I was very pleased when I was looking uh, at the manufacturer. I actually listed Chirp as compatible. So it basically, you can program them manually, 
some you can, some you can't, but these you can program manually or with Chirp. And, Chirp, and it just kind of streamlines things. So I was pretty pleased that Chirp is in the repositories. It's free and open source, and it will work with my future radios. Yay. That's great. That's great. Yeah, Debian-based distributions have a lot of uh, ham radio stuff, so I'm mm -hmm. not surprised that Chirp's in the repositories. So that's that's good news. Good. Well, I'm glad you great. found yet another thing to help you out with your ham radio addiction. I mean, a hobby. <laughs> addiction? I resemble that comment. <laughs> okay. I'm getting ready to go to the DMV to actually get my amateur radio tag. Oh, nice. Yay. Good. Yeah, of course I don't want to rob any banks then because, you know, they will find me really quick. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, what, guys. Are, are, are you saying that you have robbed banks in the past? <laughs> it kind of implies uh, that the way you said that. I plead the fifth. Uh, okay. No, I've I've never robbed a bank, but I'm just saying you don't want to be speeding or doing anything illegal with an amateur radio tag in South Carolina. Not only does it have your call sign on it, it's white and black, but all they have to do is just type in your uh, – do a search on the internet for your call sign and it sends you right to your house. So, oh, nice. yeah. <laughs> okay. No, no, yeah. no work required. No hiding from the man for you. Okay. Well, good luck yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. So our n next episode, Bill, will be something that you are working on. Did you know about that? <laughs> You're uh, working on something? <laughs> Yeah, that must be that big package you put on my desk. Yeah, there you go. Oh, so, okay. uh, and um, you know, I'll, I'll also be working on a VeraCrypt uh, review as well. But one way or another, we'll have something extremely interesting and valuable for our listeners for our next user experience episode. I can't really say much right now, but you know about it. Is we might have something pretty exciting to to talk about soon. So, okay, yes, Spoiler yes, absolutely. Alert. Until then. You can go to our website at goinglinks.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Theme music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.